Um, I am very glad that Bill told me about Noodle the Pug and yes. No Bones Day. Yes. So Bill told me about that literally like less than 24 hours before I started to be exposed to it. So like I had not heard of Noodle the Pug until uh-huh. Bill was like, I have to tell you about this pug. And then immediately after it was like, oh, I'm so glad I have context for what all of these people are talking about. (laughs) You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide and wonderful world of streaming rom-coms and teen cinema. I am your co-host, library manager, and YA lit purveyor, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host... I'm Martin Hagman, uh, adult services librarian and rom-com enthusiast. And we are here to discuss the rom-com teen movie hybrid, Afterlife of the Party. Uh, this movie is from 2021. In fact, I believe it dropped maybe a couple of weeks ago. So this is your spoiler warning at the top of the episode. We are going to be getting uh, into the nitty gritty of Afterlife of the Party. Uh, this one is available on Netflix. Oh, September 2 is when it debuted. So about two months, about a month and a half ago. Um, but if you would like to go into Afterlife of the Party spoiler free, now is your chance to pause the podcast, uh, go watch the movie, and then come back. So Afterlife of the Party, 2021 Netflix original, uh, directed by Stephen Herrick, written by Carrie Friedel. Uh, This stars Victoria Justice as Cassie, Midori Francis as Lisa, Robin Scott as Val, Adam Garcia as Howie, Timothy Renouf as Max, Gloria Garcia as Sophia, my fanwe wearing, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that because it's a Welsh name. Um, my fanwe wearing as Emmy, Spencer Sutherland as Coop. Is that Marin? Is Spencer Sutherland related to uh, to one Kiefer? Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, not that I can see. Okay, he is from Ohio. And is a singer-songwriter? Just curious. I, I, yes. Um, So Afterlife of the Party is about Cassie, who is an event planner party girl. She lives with Lisa, her best friend. Uh, Listeners may recognize Midori Francis as Lily from Dash and Lily's Book of Dares. Um, She is just beginning, or she is in Cassie, is just beginning her birthday week, dubbed Cassie Palooza. Um, And after she and Lisa have a fight about um, whether or not to go out or stay in, Lisa would really like to spend some quality time with her bestie, which you get the feeling that they haven't had a lot of chances to recently. Uh, Cassie overindulges, goes home, passes out, wakes up slips in the bathroom, conks her head, and dies. She wakes up uh, in a very well-dressed version of Purgatory, where her guardian angel, Val, tells her that for the moment she is in between, um, but that she has five days to make things right and settle her business with a list of people. The list of people is Lisa, her dad, and her estranged mother. 
Cassie sets out on a journey where initially no one can see nor hear her, uh, but due to plot machinations, Lisa is finally able to actually cross that barrier and communicate with Cassie, which is good because I think this movie would have moved a lot slower if we couldn't do that. Um, and the movie takes place as the next five days unfold, and Cassie has to find the middle ground between... Um, finding peace for herself and finding peace with these three people that she either thought she had a close relationship with and didn't or had fallen out with or never had a relationship with. Uh, we find out that her mother walked out on her and her father when she was very small. Um, the movie uses these three different people to kind of set up the, the act structure of the movie. Uh, we get some very good rom-com action with Lisa and Max, the cute British guy down the hall, and even with Cassie's dad and Emmy, the mini driver lookalike baker, who has been a great comfort to Lisa since Cassie's passing. Uh, spoiler alert, Cassie slips in just under the wire and is able to uh, make peace with these three people and uh, go to her great reward. Uh, in which she, as she is going to her great reward, she is joined in the elevator upstairs uh, by her favorite pop star who died that day in a freak accident. And so presumably she gets to spend the rest of eternity with her celebrity crush. Hope they like each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how did we feel about Afterlife of the Party? Yeah, I think there was a little too much going on. Um, I think that the problem is because the movie tried to divide itself between three plot lines, um, the, the plot lines with her parents kind of got short shrift, um, and just weren't as engaging, um, and I gotta say, I don't think the actor who played her dad, I think he was a little bit of a weak link in the chain. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that the first part of the film really shines because of the good friend chemistry between Victoria Justice and Midori Francis. Um, and I think the last part with her mom works well because they do some, you know, there's some nice writing and there's some nice acting. But I think that middle section with her dad is just the, and I, I gotta say, I feel like it, in the hands of a more emotive actor, I probably would have bought it more. Um, but it just, it also seemed like if we're going to have one plot that is leaning more heavily on the comedy and one that's leaning more heavily on you know, the, the sadness inherent in the situation, namely that Cassie has died, um, maybe just have the two plots and, like, really hit both of them home instead of having kind of a fuzzy plot in the middle um, that just wasn't as engaging. Yeah, I think, I think the movie could have made up some ground. I don't think we needed the time restriction. Yeah. Because for... A good chunk of the movie, I felt like, did the movie forget that she only has five days? And, like, five days is so arbitrary that I was kind of like, we don't need this. 
Well, and it was especially um, arbitrary because the movie let us know that she had traveled forward in time a year. So, you know, for her, what has been falling down and waking back up in a blink of a second, you know, for everyone else has been a year. Uh, and I think you kind of need that buffer time. I think this movie doesn't work if she's going in immediately after her death. Um, but yeah, then like subsequently them being like, oh, yes, like people have been dealing with this for a full year, but you only have five days. Good luck. Yeah. It feels really odd. Especially because, like, they tell you, oh, or they tell Cassie, like, oh, you're supposed to, like, help these people find peace. And really what it ends up being is that Cassie has to find peace with herself over these three relationships. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it ends up not really being about those people finding resolution, but Cassie finding revolution resolution about those relationships which is fine i mean this is a this is a um unfinished business kind of movie um and also kind of makes more sense with the fact that like these are people who have had a year to grieve Mm -hmm. and cassie hasn't like cassie is the one that needs resolution here right right Um, but yeah, I thought that the, I, I will say, I thought the emotional parts of this movie worked really well for me. It was the kind of gaggy, goofy stuff that I wasn't a huge fan of. Like, there's a whole, Val, her her guardian angel is like, yes, you can change your clothes. And it's this big, like, Barbie doll moment for her. And I was like, I can't tell what like is this a joke is this like i don't know the sillier stuff did not work for me as well as the like just straight up and down emotional stuff yeah and i think for me like some of the silly stuff worked really well like all the matchmaking stuff um with lisa oh yeah and her neighbor i thought that worked great so if they you know wanted to lighten the movie they should have just kept it to that um yeah, I think so mostly I actually, all the Val stuff was. Yeah, the 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 Val and the Guardian Angel and the like do you get to go to purgatory or not? I I almost wonder if we had just deposited like if Val had or if um Cassie had just kind of woken up as a ghost a year later and not been told what you need to do but just kind of like figured it out like mm-hmm. She wakes up, is trapped on Earth, and is like, I don't know what I need to do to move on, and so ends up touching base with all of these people who are really important to her. I wonder if that might not have made a stronger movie. Yeah, kind of like a Groundhog's Day, they're trapped until they learn the lesson. Yeah, and I do want to pause real fast and say that I enjoyed this, I ended up enjoying this movie way more than I thought I was going to. Same. Like, the first the first 20 minutes of this movie were rough. <laughs> I was like, I, at some point, I'm going to need to be on board with Cassie. Don't know that I can get there. Spoiler alert, I did. Um, but yeah, the first 20 minutes or so, I was like, I can't believe this movie is almost two hours long. I'm going to die of old age <laughs> while watching this movie. Yeah, I um, think I, like, there was a lot going on in the, the first few minutes that actually I, I appreciated. Um but I think it definitely 
yeah, there was kind of this uneven tone, and it, it like, leaned so hard into the slapstick initially that, like, when it, um, you know, went full throttle into, like, a therapy session for Cassie, it was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, and, like, I, I, I think if they had toned down some of that in the beginning, um, it it wouldn't have been such a hard turn, um, into what this movie really ended up being about. Um, yeah, because I, again, I, for me, my favorite part of the movie is probably, like, the 30 to 45 minute mark where she's, she's doing the matchmaking. I thought that was so charming, and I just, like, wanted more of that, um, I really liked the end when she's like, I know exactly what I have to do and is like blipping all around to all of these different locations and setting up for her dad and um, Emmy the baker to meet at the the bakery's like grand opening. I love I love a good kind of montage scene like that mm-hmm. where someone's putting all the pieces together and then you get to watch the machinations of their grand plan come together. Mm. I thought that was very charming. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was fun. I did enjoy that end. Um, but yeah, again, I, think I also just enjoyed. Oh, sorry, I was gonna say yeah. I think this film just though like suffers that like there's some there's like just too much time spent with your dad. Like if they paired that storyline down a little bit, or if they had just gone full throated into the dad and left some of the mom stuff off, like there's just like the wrong amount of time spent there yeah i i I think it would not have felt i don't think it would have felt balanced if it was just lisa and her mom like i three is such a significant number in supernatural stuff like two i think would have felt weird to me yeah I, i don't i don't just i don't disagree with you that the time was maybe not well spent um, I just, I wouldn't lose that story completely because three is such a significant number. Yeah. And I guess maybe if they just made that better <laughs> yeah. and more engaging. Like I, I don't, I don't disagree that the, the writing on that bit could have been stronger. I just, w- I, I don't think I would lose it completely. Yeah. I think I just, yeah, maybe what I'm reacting to is just like that actor, wasn't as strong and the writing in that section wasn't as strong and like the the beats like were a little odder because he couldn't communicate with her and I think with the you know I think you're right like you said earlier like her being able to communicate with Lisa is is part of the only reason this movie works because that first part she's able to talk to Lisa and then the last part Lisa is able to communicate to her mom. And I think that that, I think part of why that middle section suffers is because she has no direct communication with her dad and it's all that indirect stuff. And I think like they're trying to like abide by the rules that they've set up, but it it just makes like her dad doesn't like immediately, he comes home to a cleaned house 
and like his yoga mat like ready to go and his reaction isn't immediately like who has broken into my house what is going on <laughs> it's like, clearly this is my dead daughter <laughs> yeah um exactly so that i think is part of it too is just like all that indirect communication like really is i think part of what makes that second act just hit less yeah and honestly my original thought when she and lisa started to be able to communicate was ugh, this is lazy um because part of me was like what if they had had to commit to um Cassie not being able to communicate like how would that also have made the movie different but their chemistry was so good and they were so good together that that's not something I want to entertain super a lot yeah and I I think what it works too is like they made the mechanics of it meaningful you know it wasn't just like it, it did feel kind of earned that like oh of anybody like the only person you can talk to is Lisa yeah, I did not love when the movie at first was like, and now we're going to explain this. I When she like goes back to the angel place and Val is like, you went viral. I'm like, I don't need any of this. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care why she and Lisa can talk to each other. Um, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think like all the stuff with Val just serves to take away from like what is actually engaging about the story. Like, I think you you just don't need it. Agree completely. Yeah. Um. Yes, loved seeing Midori Francis again. Same. Although, apparently she can only date one kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Her love interest in this did look quite similar to Dash. Although he was a little more, like, pop culture nerdy rather than, like, literary nerdy, which I appreciated. Yeah. yeah. What is that? Okay, Austin Abrams. Yeah, this guy did look very similar to Austin Abrams. Um, yeah, same. Well, and I'm glad now that we had Austin Abrams and Chemical Hearts, so now we're having Midori Francis and something else. We're getting both Dash and Luke. True. And now, having watched both of them in multiple things, I think Midori Francis is the better actor. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, thought the fashion in this movie was on point. I did enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, Cassie's jumpsuit in the first scene. My oh my. Um, that was pretty um, epic. But I did love her. I loved her disco ball dress that she changes into after that. Oh my gosh, yes. With the long sleeves. Amazing. So good. So good. Yeah, there were a lot of great, great outfit choices here. And I mean, I will admit, my personal style is pretty similar to Lisa's. Like, I love a little floral dress. So I was like... Oh, yeah. Yay. Her, Her little collared dress that she wears to the bakery at the end. Adorable. Very cute. So one of the things that I was very interested in is this movie feels very much like it comes at the nexus point of the kinds of movies you and I like to talk about. Like this movie is about adults 
but it feels like it's borrowing the language of teen cinema in a lot of ways. Like the bright colors, the pop song, like the pop, pseudo pop music, because I think all of the music in here is by our fake, fake musician Coop. Yes. Um, yes. And even like the, like resolving parent-child relationships, like it, it felt very much like it was living between a fully adult rom-com and like a teen coming-of-age movie. Yeah, and it actually it reminded me of. I feel like. There is a whole genre, like a whole subgenre of romance cropping up called, uh, is it New Adult? Um, yes. Yes. And I I have found a couple authors in there I really like, um, namely L. Kennedy and Serena Bowen. And it really reminded me of that. Yeah, there. I, I feel like there's been this whole crop of authors who like focus on kind of that just immediately post-college world and because are they supposed to be like what 25 yeah so lisa is still a student i think like she's in some kind of graduate program Mm -hmm. so they're somewhere between 22 and 25 yeah yeah so they're old enough to drink yeah so like yeah like a new adult well, and for like in the library world, that was a that was a kind of brand of literature that people tried for a while to get off the ground. I think the problem there was the name because new adult as a literary genre means like in that 19 to 24 kind of area. So the books were generally spicier, a little bit darker. Um, but just calling them new adult sounds like it's just new fiction right right like, it's like new coke like what is or are adult books rebranding like right so and and already i think there's some confusion in the library world between like what is teen what is young adult what is new adult like all of these and the the fact is that they all overlap pretty heavily anyway right well and even i think about librarians those, are just oh, sorry. No, keep going. I was going to say, and even those two authors I named earlier, L. Kennedy and Serena Bowen, like, they have both written books that, like, star, like, college freshmen, and they have written books that star, like, 25-year-olds. Like, they run that gamut, and their different series are marketed towards different ages. And there's also, and I I think part of it was in self-defense because, um... People keep trying to drive the age of characters in young adult books up. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot more, quote unquote, young adult that's being written as, like, senior in high school, freshman in college. Right. And I think as a teen librarian, um, we kind of felt like we were, our, our kind of demographic in the library was driving out our younger teens. Like, our middle schoolers are freshmen in high school. Mm-hmm. So part of the desire to make that new adult category was to kind of reclaim the younger echelons Mm. of young adult and teen. All of which brings me to the issue that I had with it, which is that I think librarians are way too eager to subdivide anyway. Yeah. I frequently, I frequently feel like we get lost in trying to be so specific that we sort of lose the forest for the trees. Mm. 
Like, yeah. I don't, I don't think we need, <laughs> I don't think we need different areas for like middle grade, young adult, new adult. It's like kids are going to read, like we can, that's what we are there for. Like we are there to make, to help people make choice, informed decisions. Otherwise, if they just want to look at it all, like let them look at it. Right. Who right. cares? Right. And I think, um, yeah, especially, uh, like I know our youth services department has been having this conversation actually more on the younger end of like, how do we mark our transitional chapter books? So it's kind of that same conversation just on the opposite end. Um, but yeah, at a certain point, and I always feel this way about Lexile levels too. Like, I feel like some people get so hung up about Lexile levels, but it's like, just find like levels are meaningless, right? (laughs) Just find books that people engage with. Like I read Philippa Gregory when I was 12 and I turned out fine. And in fact, I learned to love a lot of history because I read Philippa Gregory. Did my mom later say, oh, gosh, when she read The Other Bullying Girl, she was like, I can't believe we let you read that book when you were 12. Sure. But uh-huh. pretty much. Yeah. Um, my mother also suffered in silence because she read a book called The Red Tent. Oh, I read a book called The Red Tent. My oh. sister read a book called The Red oh, Tent. Boy. This happened when I was 13. Mm-hmm. which meant that my sister was 10. Oh, boy. And my parents always had a very hands-off policy when it came to what Lizzie and I were reading. Mm-hmm. So my mom was like, you know, talking to her as an adult now, she, she's like, oh, yeah, I just figured, like, if you had questions, you would come ask. <laughs> and... and you know, sometimes more more often rather than ask my mom questions about books that I started reading that were over my head, I would just sort of quietly put them away. <laughs> yeah, and I feel um, like that does, you know, if there's a book that's like, like, people aren't going to be engaged by that, you know, like. Yes. So, well, yeah. and I, yeah, we've gotten kind of away from the point, but that's yeah, one of the yeah. things that I try really hard. It's one of the things that I try really hard to encourage in parents, like when they're looking for something quote-unquote appropriate for their kids i'm like i will happily make suggestions but i would be willing to vote dollars to donuts that if i give your kids something that they're not into or that ends up being over their head or inappropriate for them or whatever they're just not going to read it and that's going to be fine like they get to self-correct like that too yeah my big my big personal example for that apart from the the red tent (laughs) incident um is that my current theory of horror literature is mm. that literally no one started reading Stephen King at an age appropriate time. Mm-hmm. No one. <laughs> <laughs> because if, if you ask anybody, particularly in our age demographic, if you ask us, when did you start reading Stephen King? Nine times out of 10, the answer you're going to hear is like 11 to 13. Mm. Um, but anyway, but anyway, <laughs> that's my, yeah. So I, th- I mean, that's I- my universal theory of, <laughs> um, but yeah, I do feel like this movie is really kind of trying to straddle a line between, um, like a grown up and a teen situation. And I think it does it really well. Like the tone felt appropriate to me 
And I don't think that it ever felt condescending. Like it didn't ever feel to me like this is what the kids are saying these days. Uh, unlike some of the other movies that we have watched. Right. Right. And I think that, yeah, it felt like, you know, it was treating Cassie and Lisa, you know, as, as growing individuals, um, you know, weren't incapable, just young. And, um, yeah, I, I liked that, you know, it seemed true to that age to, like, not have it all figured out. Um, but yeah, it didn't seem like a, how are you fellow kids? You know, like a Steve Buscemi. Or what is it? How do you do fellow children? I think it's what's up fellow kids okay okay or maybe it's how do you do fellow kids I don't know I never watched that um I really enjoyed the specificity that we got with their career paths yeah because I felt like that a lot particularly for Lisa who we actually get to see in a work environment um and this is related to what you were talking about I promise like that gave her agency in what and sh like let her let the movie show that she is really good at this thing that she's doing um without having to take a deep like like without having to deeply explain to us and also she's good at her job right well and i think you know it lets her you know because presumably if she's like you know she's been in grad school for a few years she like, obviously had, you know, field experience in, in undergrad and grad school. You know, it, it's kind of, but, like, she still needs these further opportunities. And, and, yeah, and I feel like it makes sense that someone at that age in grad school is really going to be consumed by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it was a nice, like... Yep, she's very focused on on her grad school right now and um yeah, I think it yeah, it never shamed her character about that. I think it did suggest it that like, yeah, maybe you should also have some fun in your life. I was going to say I disagree just I disagree slightly, but that's just because this movie like all movies that have a romantic comedy DNA thread ends with everybody pairing up at the end. So there is a little bit of Lisa has to get, like Lisa has to acknowledge that she's really great at her job in order to let loose and go out and meet Max the cutie across the hall. Yeah, I think there's some of that, but I think it's also like she's been lonely. And so... I think that, you know, what the movie is saying is like, yep, you've been doing great on your job and your work and you should go for these opportunities. But like, you know, you've been lonely since Cassie died and, you know, developing your friendship with Emmy, developing a relationship with Max. Like, I, I think it's setting her social life up as kind of a way to like move forward without Cassie. Oh, Yeah. And again, it, you know, this is the 
this is what this kind of this is baked into this movie's DNA. So I'm not like that mad about it. <laughs> yeah. And I think yeah, I'm trying to think of like other movies that like hit this like young fresh out of college like quote new adult unquote type the only one that's coming up for some reason is a movie i actually don't like much the how to be single with dakota johnson i have not seen that yeah don't watch that but yeah part of the same same age um i would like to talk a little bit about cassie's mother because um i think she got off way too light in this movie I don't think you get to walk out on your family and have that healed by a 48 hour, you know, heel turn. Like when she starts talking about how, like, you know, the only constant in my life was that I never stopped loving you. I was kind of like, cool story, still murder. Like (sighs) that really, I found that really pretty upsetting that she was just like, I walked out on you and you're dead. For over a decade and now everything's okay because I had a glass of tea with your dad. Like that sucks. Didn't. And I know that the convenience is also part of the movie's DNA, but that did not sit well with me. Yeah. The the ease, the ease with which that got resolved did not care for. Yeah. I mean, I think they needed to show. So I just rewatched in her shoes the other day and i think they needed a have you ever seen in her shoes i'm familiar with it but i haven't seen it oh you should see it it's on amazon prime it's so good um but one of the plot lines in it is that shirley mclean's character is estranged from the main two characters her granddaughters um but she has been trying to like you know she has sent them letters she has tried to contact them and has been prevented and I think they, like, kind of try to get there with the postcard thing. But, like, I think they need to, they needed to, like, I guess not that I want to make her dad into the bad guy of, like, well, your dad said I couldn't contact you. You know, but, like, yeah, they definitely need to show that she made more of an effort. Yeah, because as it is, it's like, oh, I went off and got another family. I don't know. I I will always have a hard time with parents that do that to their children because you are the adult and they are your child and you don't get to make those kinds of decisions. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I and I don't know how I would have fixed that in the movie. Like again, it's that arbit that goes back to that arbitrary time limit. Mm. If if we hadn't been like, we need to resolve this in five days, like what if we didn't? What if we just let her be on Earth and not talking to anybody and figuring it out and letting us have an emotionally satisfying mm-hmm. um an emotionally satisfying resolution that feels earned. Cause this did not feel earned to me. Yeah. I mean, I think they definitely could have 
like had the mom spend some more time um either like reaching out to Cassie's dad or like you know us having seen see her make having made or making more effort um or even just like more building up of like yeah when she came back she like really tried to reconnect with me but like I wouldn't let her yeah yeah just like finding some ways to like have more of an effort be in there Any other any other thoughts on Afterlife of the Party? I thought Victoria Justice was great. I thought yeah. she was cute. I don't know that I've seen her in much of anything because I stopped watching... Was she a Disney Channel kid? I feel like she was. Yeah, I was not. I, I'm a little older, I think, than her demographic, but I thought she, she was... I thought she was cute. Yeah. She was. She was very charming. Okay, yeah, she was a... I can confirm she was a Disney kid. Um, <laughs> Zoe 101. Um, ah, okay. Yeah. Um, oh, well, it's a good thing I didn't remember she was in this. She was apparently in maybe our least favorite movie we've ever watched uh naomi and after was it after oh yeah that's right okay sorry only maybe slightly above after oh. naomi and i was gonna say naomi no eli's kiss. no kiss list wasn't yeah that wasn't great but my my bid for worst movie we've ever watched is after yeah that's for sure fair. that's fair <laughs> um. was she naomi yeah oh shoot I know, right? I did not remember that. For the better. Yeah. Well, she's much more likable in this movie. Yeah, really. Um, yeah, no, I thought she did a good job. Well, anything else um, we would add or change or had thoughts about? Um, I think that kind of I think that pretty much wraps up my feelings about um Afterlife of the Party, I am curious about what you would recommend our listeners read or engage with uh, when they are finished with Afterlife of the Party. Yeah, I, this did make me think of, you know, books that involve the afterlife. Um, and this is a slightly different tone, but kind of that same conceit of, of looking back on your life. Um it made me think of the uh, 2009... God, is it really that old? Oh, my God. Uh, the 2009 book by Gail Foreman, If I Stay. Um, and it is about a young girl in a coma who looks back on her life and um, has to decide whether she wants to continue living or considering her entire immediate family has... Uh, been killed in this car crash um whether she wants to join them in the afterlife um yeah yeah i'm quite sure i'm quite sure we have recommended this one on the podcast before but it is it is an emotive experience 
It is. It is. Yeah, that is. Yeah. I I know. I wondered that too. And I was like, but then I tried to remember what one I would have re- recommended it for. And I couldn't remember. <laughs> but yes, you were. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I am not sure either. But yeah. An, an oldie, but a goodie. Um, Martha, what would you recommend? I would recommend the 2012 dark comedy by Gina D'Amico, Croak. Croak is a YA novel that is the first of three, and is it is about Lex, who is a troubled 16-year-old whose parents decide that she needs a little bit of TLC, but also mm-hmm. tough love. Um, so they send her to her uncle for the summer, and Lex finds out that her uncle has kind of an unusual job. He works as a reaper, mm. ferrying souls to the afterlife. So Lex takes on sort of apprentice duties to Mort while she's staying with him for the summer and quickly decides that she thinks that some of these people, instead of just guiding them to the afterlife, she wonders if she may be able to save them. Uh, This goes about as well as you might think. (laughs) Um, Mm. Yes. Uh, But yeah, dark comedy. It's fun. Lex is one of those characters where it's like, ooh, I'm glad I don't know you in real life because you would be awful, (laughs) but you're fun to read about. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Afterlife of the Party. Oh, no, that's the movie we watched. (laughs) Croak. Croak is the book I was just talking about. So our next movie, we will be watching The First Time, which is available for free on Prime. We're doing a small... We're doing a small Victoria Justice miniseries, apparently. Yes, a little, uh, um, yes, miniseries is the, is the word I would use, yes. <laughs> um, it's Victoria Justice the month. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, if you would like more, uh, more from these bright young hosts, you should check out our sister show, Did You Do Your Homework?, which updates on the same feed on alternating Wednesdays. You can also check out our shared social media feeds at DYDYH Podcast. Um, we are most active on Twitter and Facebook when I remember to post stuff there. You can follow me personally at all the places at Magical Martha. Uh, Marin, where can people find you? Um, folks can find me at A underscore star underscore dance, where I mostly tweet about um romance novels these days um yeah there's a lot happening in the world of romance it sounds like yes (laughs) for good or for ill it's a busy place romance lantia i tell you what frequently that is going to do it for us. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll catch you in a couple of weeks. And just remember that we love you. Excellent. Woo!